Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another edition of the Moving to Live podcast. Today, we're with part two of Mark Nutting. Mark is a longtime personal trainer in Boston, New York City, Maine, and now in in Easton, Pennsylvania with uh, Jiva Fitness. Mark is an author of an upcoming human kinetics book, The Business of Personal Training. For those of you who don't know, human kinetics is one of the leading publishers for people involved in the movement and exercise field. Mark, thanks for taking time to come back and talk to us a second time. It's my pleasure, Ben. Thank you. I alluded to this a little bit in the first interview that I wanted to talk about it more and also mentioned it just now, you have a book coming out, The Business of Personal Training. And I know in the first interview, you mentioned when you first got involved in the personal training business 30-some years ago, there really wasn't a career path for personal training. Talk a little bit about the book, how you had the opportunity to write it, and what uh, people can expect when it's published early next year. Uh, yeah. 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 So we, the book should be out uh, January 1st of February, somewhere in there of 2018. Uh, the, uh, we were talking about expectations when we, we first started our careers. I never anticipated writing a book. Uh, it's, and particularly never would have thought about business because, you know, as we created the industry, you know, uh, from, you know, back when their trainers weren't really considered as a, you know, a real career, uh, certainly we weren't thinking about business at that point. The how this occurred was really uh, in the last uh, episode, we were talking about uh, my presentation career and I always presented, you know, I think I said in the first uh, interview that my first presentation was actually at a, at a conference was on weightlifting. And I always did, you know, the classic fitness presentations. Here's, here's what you're doing with this. I got, when I got involved with the NSCA, I actually did it because I was watching people do 
athletic training with people and and knowing that they were doing it incorrectly and and joined the NSCA to sort of learn how how it was really the theories behind it how it was really supposed to be done um, and then I, then I would teach to that you know, I would teach to okay I taught uh, courses or presentations in uh, plyometrics for personal trainers, uh, periodization for personal trainers, you know, starting to integrate some of those and take it into the personal training realm. But there, you know, I've, I did all kinds of the science and, uh, and the exercise aspect of it, but it would usually come out of, you know, watching somebody do something wrong and realizing people needed to know how to do this right. Well, you know, in the, you know, as of today in 2017, you know, probably the past 10 years, I've made a real study of business because what you realize now that, you know, personal training is an industry and and uh, a real career is people are failing as personal trainers, not because they don't have the skills uh, of exercise science or movement and all that. They're failing because they don't have the business skills. And they don't know how to get clients. And if you don't have clients, you can't make a business run and you don't make a living. So I started really researching that and and being, you know, presenting on those topics to personal trainers so that they could, you know, have a better career, build their businesses. And it just became, you know, there weren't many of us out in the industry that were really speaking to the business end of things. So. Uh, I got an opportunity to present a great deal on business topics, whether it's marketing, you know, social media marketing, sales, uh, or those. And anyway, the uh, human kinetics was aware of my present presenting out there, and they actually ended up approaching me to write the book on the business of personal training. So that's kind of how it came about is over the last 10 years of presenting on business topics. I know some people might be interested. I've been fortunate enough to co-author a couple of chapters and edit a book. What's the time frame of a of a book like this? I know some people are going to go, <laughs> "Well, it's just a personal training book," and other people are going to go, "A book? There's no way I could do that." Well, you know, some, you know, for a number of reasons, it's 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 a th- it was a three year project. I've been been working on this book for about three years. And, you know, some of it's partly, okay, Human Connects went through a couple of editors, uh, editorial changes, and uh, we got put on hold because of uh, uh, other books took priority at the moment. Uh, So, you know, a little bit of Human Connects, but a lot of me, too. I got to say, I I was a, I've been a blogger for, oh, I don't know, maybe a decade. Um, And that was my style of writing. So when we started this book, Actually, I, you know, getting back to writing, I wrote a chapter in uh, for ACSM and a resource manual for personal trainers, and they wanted a, a business uh, chapter, chapter on business for personal trainers, and they wanted it written like a textbook, and I said, okay, let's do this, and, and going from, a, from a, a blogger to writing a textbook killed me. It was the worst experience of my life. And I really, you know, they actually had to bring on a, a, a co-writer for the chapter at, because I just couldn't write it in that third third person sterile kind of way. Uh, so one of the things when Human Connects asked me to write this book, I go, okay, there's, there's just one stipulation. 
it's got to be first person. I got to be able to write this book first person. I don't think I can put myself through that, you know, otherwise. So it is. They agreed to it. It's a it's a book written in first person. If you and if you read business books, you know, other than a business text for a university, if you read any of the business books out there by the successful business people, it's all first person. It makes it much more accessible. It's much, you know, you're you're less likely to fall asleep. Less likely. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying you won't, but you, you know, less likely. The um, no, but it, it, so that was one of the concessions they made. But even still, in being able to write it in first person, uh, first person, the uh, I had a lot of, you know, they would always come back and go, okay, we need more of this, and, and I needed, I, I, di- I was not used to going into the kind of depth that they were really looking for me to do. And uh, so it took me the first four or five chapters to even start to get get into the swing of things and realize what they were looking for. So that, you know, that process just took a lot longer than it, it probably would normally. Uh, the other thing was, is that they came to me to write their book. So they, they had an idea of what they wanted in the book. And then we went back and forth to what I thought was important and what we mutually agreed upon, you know, we started with it, you know, figuring out what the table of contents would be. And then from there, okay, let's flesh out all these chapters. Um, I think a lot of people who, when they write their books, will write the book and then take it to a publisher, which is a little bit different. Um, but I, yeah, it's been a, a huge uh, challenge and a huge learning opportunity. And, you know, the book is really out of my hands now. I just did the final read through. You know, they sent me a PDF of the book and I read through the book. And it's interesting after having spent three years, you know, on this, you know, chapter by chapter and rehash the chapter and and go back. You you sort of become blind to the content, you know, uh, just looking at too much. I don't know if this makes sense. I don't know. You know, you know how when you write that sometimes if you're just there too long, you sort of lose uh, the overview of the whole thing. Uh, So I got a chance to read it after a period of time, this, this final layout. And I came away thinking, yeah, what? Uh, This is honestly a good book. Uh, I think it's probably the most comprehensive I know of out there in personal training because it's not just, it, it, it is for the personal trainer, whether you're working in a club or whether you're opening your own brick and mortar facility. It, it covers everything from the forms you'll need to the insurance you'll need to communication styles and how to work with clients and how to sell and how to market. And, you know, so it really covers all bases. And I'm, I was sort of pleased in this final run through. Well, I wasn't sort of. I was really quite pleased that it really reads quite well. And I'm, I'm very excited for it to come out. I know the first time we talked in part one of the interview, you mentioned that it's really important for a personal trainer, and I think for anybody else involved in the field, to know what you're good at. And you said that kind of directed the sort of clients that you and your wife work work with in your business. Clearly, from your experience with the American College of Sports Medicine chapter, you knew, I don't do well at writing academic, sterile writing. Right. and you're a longtime blogger, which is probably about as far from academic sterile writing as you can get. In the age of social media and everybody has a blog, everybody has the best way to do an exercise that they post on Instagram or Facebook, thinking back the three or three and a half years, 
why write a book as opposed to saying, well, I can still get my word out by publicizing my blog and maybe even you know, charging for the blog or charging for courses based on my blog? Well, a lot of people do that. You know, you'll have subscription sites where people can, you know, pay per month to read either someone's blog or their, you know, ongoing narrative of, of how to do stuff. Uh, I, you know, if uh, we were doing a video interview, I'd flash the camera over into my library. Uh, it's funny because people ask, will ask who the publisher is and I'll say human kinetics. And, the, you know, most lay people don't know who that is, but half of my library is from human kinetics. These are, you know, so it's certainly there's a little, I, I think, ultimately, I think that to be able to go to a book, pull out the information, you know, pull out the whole book and have all the information there in front of you is incredibly handy. Now, I'm in, uh, I mean, I do, a, we were talking about podcasts and, and uh whether I listen to a lot of podcasts and I mentioned that I, I actually do a lot of audio books. Uh, and when I, when I go to audio books and listen to them, if I think it's got bits in it that I want to go back to, I go out and buy the hard copy too, because I think it's so useful to be able to, as I was saying, reach in, grab the book and know I have the content there and I can peruse that, at, you know, and flip to the chapter I need or whatever else. Sometimes in the well, I won't say sometimes. Probably most of the time in uh, when you're on the social media, or you're in a blog site or whatever. Then you have to scan or search, and and you're pulling through this stuff. And so it's not as uh, I'm not gonna say it's not as accessible or immediately accessible. It probably is, but it's it's usually in all these little chunks, which is you know how how it's usually better done is you know a snippet here, a snippet there. You know, blog posts are not long posts. Uh, so that you you can get right into the meat of it too when you have a book in hand, and I think that you know that that has always been something strong for me is to have my books and have those resources and to produce a resource for others. I think is you know I, I hope to be very satisfying. I hope I hope people are appreciating. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> to say that more correctly, I hope they're appreciating me. No. What I want to say is that I hope it is as useful as I, I think it can be. Do you think, uh, or was there any thought process back when you were first asked to do it? I mean, clearly you've got a number of years of experience and you have a level of credibility considering the human comedics came to you and said, hey, we want you to write this book. Was there any thought process before you said yes of thinking, having other people critique my writing, critique my work, critique, critique what I'm writing about personal training, might solidify the information or make it more clearly presented than if I just put it in a blog post or a series of presentations, or was that not at all part of the thought process? Uh, I hope to get uh, critique. Well, you know, I, I look forward to critique anyway, you know, critique, not criticism, uh, you know, from the, the sense that, you know, I, if, I'm not afraid of being wrong. I'm not, afraid, although I do my best not to be. I mean, the, the book is heavily researched. Uh, but, you know, I, I try to research on my blog posts too. The, uh, but if somebody wants to challenge me, I actually went back. It's funny you mentioned that, you know, looking for critique, looking for 
uh, my knowledge to be challenged or, you know, or, or solidified. And, and, and maybe cr- critique is the wrong word, maybe peer reviewed, since I'm sure people read over it who they consider your peers. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. But what I was going to say was, you know, the critique's not bad either, you know, to be able to say, I, I don't think that's right. Or I actually got in two conversations not that long ago. Uh, I'm, I'm on the, the exam development committee for the personal trainer exam for the NSCA. And actually, I had a conversation about certifications with uh, one of the, the participants there. And we got into differentiating between certificate programs uh, or assessed certificate programs. These are the weekend uh, programs that actually have a test at the end, testing your knowledge, which may be called certification, but they're really certificate based or assessment based certificate programs. Um, and, and versus certifications, which are typically a, a third party assessing knowledge, skills, and abilities. Uh, and I realized I had written that incorrectly in the book and I didn't differentiate well. And I, I, so I actually, one of the few things I changed in the last read through was that. And I have to say there was another section too, where I, I found myself using two word, two phrases interchangeably and during an online discussion realized they were right. I was wrong. And I changed that as well in the book. So to have that feedback, you know, I want to be as right as possible. And I'm not afraid to admit that I'm wrong. Uh, so peer review, please, yes. And if if perchance anything got through this, you know, this book that is incorrect, hopefully in the future, I mean, hopefully I'll find out people will tell me you're wrong. And uh, uh, I'll change it in future editions. Good information from Mark. Was that, was that an answer to your question or did I just babble? Uh, on the one hand, you babbled, but indirectly you did by agreeing to take on the book uh, as opposed to just saying, I'll put this out on a blog post or a series of blog posts. You answered that you were willing to do that. And then uh, in a more direct manner, the fact that you were talking to other professionals in a certification meeting and realized, whoops, my termina- terminology was wrong. Yeah. Um. So yes, it's and I th- and I think uh, I know you're big in social media. Uh, I think the fact that even though you're very active in social media, taking the step to say, okay, we're going to do a book on business of personal training rather than having a website, gives the field even more of a credibility standing. And I know with many of these weekend, let's see if I can use the terminology correctly. Yeah, S- sort of. Assessment-based certificate programs? Assessment-based certificate programs as opposed to certifications. I know that many people will come out with these assessment-based certificate programs and believe that that's the end-all to be-all. And because they learn something in that program, everybody else who doesn't agree with that or maybe has a different theory, even if they can support why they do it, is an idiot. Right. So I think have, having a book and taking the step is a important important process of learning, educating both future professionals and current professionals. And it's important for us as professionals to realize that just be, just because we can splash out a Facebook post or an Instagram video or a blog post, we still need books. And it sounds like yeah, with your library, your yeah. library is probably like mine, although I'm converting slowly to Kindle because then I can travel and actually have the book with me too. Right. 
Now, one of the things that you mentioned in the first interview that we did, and I think this is really important, is knowing who you're good at or knowing what sort of people you're good at working with and getting lots and lots of experience. And you alluded to the people who are coming out of a degree program, depending on the school, and we won't name schools that do this well and schools that do this badly, but some some students have extensive experience with a variety of populations and other students have lots and lots of what they like to call book learning, but no actual practical experience. And in the same realm, somebody who decides to make a career change and maybe they're going to make judicious use of numerous weekend courses and mentorships and observations how do you approach people, or uh, since many personal trainers and people in the field are very busy, what are some of your recommendations if you want to get more experience? Maybe you're somebody who has been very active. They're a client of yours. They've taken a number of your classes and your wife's classes. And like, you know, this is something I might like to do as a career transition. How do they get the variety of experience if they've only experienced or work with you and your wife with the clientele and the sorts of classes that you offer? What advice would you offer to somebody? Well, first, probably, okay. So let's let's take it from uh, somebody who is a mover uh, and whether they're clients of ours or uh, somebody who's just been an athlete and or partic- uh, a fitness participant or advocate, uh, for a number of years and realize, okay, I, I really like the, the energy and b- being in a health club. I really like uh, exercising. I like, you know, uh, how the change happened to me. I mean, actually, some of the best trainers are, are people who were personally trained and saw great results and then wanted to share that kind of results with others. Um, what, you know, stage, I mean, one, one part of it, you cannot avoid is you need to know the exercise science behind the whole thing. You got to know what you're talking about. So, you know, getting a, a, you know, a third party accredited certification, whether it's ACSM, NSCA, uh, ACE, NASM, uh, one of the, one of the larger accredited certifications, uh, I think is essential. Uh, and, and just to, just to stop you there, if you could briefly explain, since I know you have the knowledge as a member of the NSCA certification committee, how does one of those certifications differ from one of the weekend certification assessment certification classes? Well, the the one of the bigger things is being a third party accredited means that you're you know what you're testing is are, is the appropriate knowledge components for that the industry requires you know so you know if you're doing a weekend certification uh a personal trainer thing and you just take a test at the end of it uh you have no idea how that really fits into the career does that actually prepare you for the career itself and these the 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 accredited certifications really are i mean every Typically, I mean, the NSCA does it every five years. You do a job analysis uh, to make sure that what you're testing is is what is really needed in the industry. And then you base, you know, the percentages of the questions on safety, questions on uh, exercises, questions on uh, legal aspects. You know, the test is based off the needs and the percentages are based off how much that need is there. Uh, so 
having a third-party accredited, accredited certification really means that you're being prepared for the industry uh, in a well-rounded way, as opposed to maybe uh, you know uh, some deal with as you were you were saying that you know if you take one of these certifications, you may come off being uh, dead sure that there's only one way to do these things. And you have to realize that, uh, you know, some of these, particularly the assessment-based cert certificate programs are selling their version of things and not necessarily really a well-rounded scientifically based version. So it's essential that you really do look to the, the third-party accredited uh, uh, cert certification programs uh, in getting one of those certifications as opposed to just a weekend version. Uh, the other thing is, I mean, I do, I do want to say too, you know, getting one certification is not the be all end all either. And, you know, you were talking about the alphabet soup after my name uh, in the previous uh, episode there, you know, I, I've had 15 to, tw I probably have had 20, 25 certifications through the years. I, I don't maintain them all, but I've taken that many. And it's really because Every one you take gives you a little bit different perspective and a little, you know, you, you usually learn something from from them or you learn how bad they are and you can just, just dismiss them. <laughs> but, you know, so, I mean, I, I'm USAW certified, United States weightlifting certified in Olympic weightlifting. Uh, actually was uh, a club coach and uh, also a sports performance coach. So I got a chance to really get into the Olympic weightlifting skills and coaching in that where I wouldn't in some of the other certifications. I mean, the NSCA covers it, but not in the depth that USAW does because that's their gig. That's what they do. And so taking multiple certifications can give you more depth in one area uh, than others sometimes. Uh, so, you know, yes, get cert. I mean, I, I currently holding two NSCA certifications, two ACSM certifications, plus others, uh, because they all offer something a little bit different and give you a little different, different flavor, a little different viewpoint. And ultimately, we take in as much as we can and we make the best judgments we can with our clients. Question for you as somebody who hires personal trainers. I know we talked about this in the first interview that just because somebody has a certification doesn't mean they're qualified. Do If you're interviewing potential clients or you're looking at resumes, are you more likely to take a closer look at a resume if somebody has one of these third-party certifications as opposed to somebody who doesn't? Or do you look at the whole resume and what their experience is, et cetera? Uh, if they don't have a third party accredited certification, I am, uh, I may still interview them. Uh, this is a, a degree and or third party accredited certification. Uh, you know, if they, if they didn't have a certification and they had a degree, I would still interview them. Uh, the, I might still interview people without a, an accredited degree, uh, but I would probably require them to get one before I hired them. Uh, if they have gone through the process of, you know, at whatever level going to a certification, at least shows interest on their part. And for personal trainers, there are a lot of other skills that are not necessarily book skills um, that are important. You know, so if they, if they haven't yet studied and, and, you know, got the certification that I'm looking for, uh, 
they might be still be a potential because if they have the right personality, the right uh, work ethic, the you know really a strong desire to excel in the industry, they're worth investing in and, and sort of guiding you know to become the trainer that you think they could be. And that's the mentorship that you talked about. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it, you know anytime anybody can get a, an opportunity to mentor with a, a trainer that is you know just one of the best things you can do because to have somebody who's strong in the industry guide you I mean that that's the best way to find out what you really need to do and you've talked a little bit about how there are some uh, degree programs where people come out with no practical experience there's a lot of people who are really really bright and they come out and they recognize, okay, I've got the book knowledge, but I don't have the practical experience. How would you recommend they look for a good mentor? I mean, I know that uh, there are probably books out there how to find a mentor in business, but personal training is a little bit different than that. So what would two or three tips that you'd give somebody looking for somebody to mentor them? Uh, it depends on where you're located. You know, if you're located in an urban area, you might be able to shadow and or, you know, follow somebody who is uh, high end, works at a high end club or something like that. Uh, the When you get into more rural areas, it's a little less likely you're going to find somebody who can really push you in the in the right direction. Less, you know, there are just fewer trainers. And, and even as I was saying, it's going, you know, I, I would if I didn't go to conferences, I would start to lose my mind. Uh when we went up to Maine and we were so isolated, uh, the, uh, it might actually be, you know, it, you might, f there, there are two ways to go. One, I'm, I'm only a little, I'm a little hesitant, but not a, you know, it, it's an, definitely an opportunity is to, to look for online mentors. There are mentorship programs out there for personal trainers. Uh, you know, you pay so much and they'll, they'll have call, you know, weekly calls with you and work with you, uh, which is, again, given you find the right one that works well with you, uh, can be invaluable. The other thing is to go to conferences and actually, you know, meet people who could, you could, uh, take, that could take you on as, as, uh, a, I don't want to say, I was going to say disciple. That's not quite it, but <laughs> you could be their disciple. No. Uh, the, uh, but, but to take you on as a student, you know, to their mentorship. Uh, so, I mean, those are two, two ways. I mean, online, finding an online mentor, or actually, no, three ways. If you have a, live in an urban place, you may be urban setting, you might be able to find a local one, uh, the, uh, online mentor aspect, and then finding one through meeting at a, uh, conference. Good advice from Mark Nutting about ways to potentially find a mentor. If you were listening to one of our first podcast interviews with Rick Howard, Rick mentioned that he wanted to be somebody who was very approachable. If somebody had a question or was looking for a recommendation, it sounds like Mark is in the same school of thought, progressing the profession. Building on our conversation a little bit more, Mark, you mentioned in the first interview the ch prices you were charging when you worked in New York City and the differences as far as understanding what to charge in the different areas. So I know you moved to Easton from Maine. How does yep. somebody who's moving into a new area, especially if it's a relatively rural area where maybe there isn't a lot of 
well, if you haven't started a business, you're not going to have competition, but there's not a lot of other personal trainers or personal training business. And potentially those that are, are very territorial because they're, they may be afraid of you stealing their business. How does somebody go about figuring out what's a realistic price to charge? Well, there's a, a number of things you, you want to look at. One of them is, well, who's, who's your demographic? Who your, who's your target market? If my target market is underprivileged, which it, it may well be. I mean, you know, there's, there are a lot of people who can't afford to, to pay anything these days. And you could even go nonprofit and look for grants to, to find, you know, your employment, as it were, to, to serve a, a lower income population. But if you're, you know, if you're not doing that, but you're still looking to help lower income population, you're not going to be able to charge as much. So you need to find ways to make that work for you to make a career out of it. Uh, some of that may be <clears throat> charging less and, and only dealing with small group training, which makes it more affordable for them and uh, and still allows you to come away with, with a reasonable uh, uh, income. Uh, another, I mean, you, you certainly do want to look at your, your, uh, competition see what they're charging and that's not a be-all end-all but it's but it is sort of what people in the area are used to so if you're charging a great deal more than or great deal more than the competition is charging you just need to be able to show the value of that uh why it's worth that that much more uh it's also you need to be able to uh Justify in your head, you know, if you charge too little and you, there'll be a certain point where you just go, okay, my time is being eaten up. I'm still not making any money. Uh, you're going to start to resent, you know, having charged so little. Uh, most trainers tar- charge too little and they, they should, most trainers should raise their rates. But the, but you got to believe you're worth that. And part of your pricing is what is your time? What is your hour worth? You know? Uh, or you're even better. That's that's not actually correct. It's, what is your value, you know, for your service? Is really where it's at. One of the stories I tell uh, trainers as they talk about, you know, what to charge and how much you're worth. One of the reasons I think personal trainers and and absolutely why I charged so little when I was first in the industry is because you didn't see you looked at it at like an hourly pay what would you pay per hour for something and you didn't look at it for the value of what you're you're giving one of my favorite stories is is a story of uh picasso who was painting on the streets of, of paris and a woman comes up to him watch saw him painting thought it was great said can you do a portrait of me and he said sure and so within five minutes he whips out this wonderful portrait of her you know, just a really quick boom, you know, and it was gorgeous. She loved it. And she said, well, how much do I owe you for this? And he said, 5,000 francs. And she, and she was aghast. She was like 5,000 francs, uh, you know, but it only took you five minutes. And what his response was, he says, no, it didn't. It took me my whole life. And to be able to do that within the five minutes. And so trainers look at the, you know, the hourly, you know, here's what I'm giving you for an hour. But it's not that. It's not just the service you're delivering. It's the background. It's the knowledge. It's the everything you've invested in your, your career to be the trainer that you are, 
to be able to charge what you do. So it's, you know, the more experience, the more background you are, the, the more fine-tuned instrument you are, uh, the, the more worth you are, the more value you have. And you got to recognize that it's not just about the hour, but it's about how much you're worth, you know, how much, how much your service is worth, what you can give people. So you, there's that personal lens, uh, going back to the, the original question, it's that, that personal value aspect. And can you, will the market bear what you're, you're seeing as a price? You know, so in New York, back to what I had said, in New York 15, 16 years ago, I was charging 125 an hour. And here in Easton, currently, I'm charging 65 an hour. Uh, that, the difference, you know, wow, okay, you know, um, you know, practically half of what I was charging in, in New York City. Well, am I worth 125 an hour? Damn right I am. Will this market bear it? No. It, you know, not and help the people I want to help, uh, get the amount of clientele that uh, will help me make a living. You know, yes, I could make a living serving three clients at, a you know, an example, three clients at 125 an hour or six clients at, at 65 an hour. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, take the three, it's less time for your work, but I'm, I'm also helping less people. So there's a little bit of how much do I need to make you know, and what's my real purpose of doing this? I mean, my real reason for being in the industry is I love helping people, you know, and I love seeing their progress. So I'd rather help more people as long as I can make a living. I'd rather help more people and, you know, charge, charge less and, and stay with what the market can bear. For people who are listening, we're talking with Mark Nutting. Mark is a longtime personal trainer who has a textbook coming out, The Business of Personal Training, early next year. If you're a potential personal trainer or a current personal trainer, it is a good read. I know when it comes out, I'll be contacting Human Kinetics. I think he hit on some really excellent points as far as justifying your price. If you're somebody who's a movement aficionado who's listening to this, remember the good personal trainer isn't just putting in that hour or 55 minutes that they're working with you, but they're probably thinking about the programming that they're doing with you probably for at least an additional hour before or after their session with you. Uh, Mark, I think, has hit on some excellent points. You need to understand movement. You need to enjoy working with people. And I think that's something that is vastly unrecognized. It's not about making a name for yourself, but how many people can you help? And he really hit on that. Uh, Mark has a website that he does periodic blog posts, which we will have in the show notes. And Mark, I really want to take... Thank you for taking the time to talk to Moving to Live. I think you've got some valuable experience as a personal trainer. I know every time I talk to you at conferences, I come away having learned something or listening to your presentations. And I think it's wonderful that you're one of the people in the field who's always willing to share the knowledge, which sadly is becoming more and more infrequent. So thank you for taking time to talk to Moving to Live. Oh, my pleasure, Ben. And have me back again. I love it. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv 
at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.